Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You are listening to the Financials Edition, taped on Monday, September 19th, 2016, but you are listening to this on October 17th because I'm in Hong Kong, probably, or potentially China. Who knows? Either way, we're pre-taping um, because it's pre-taping Palooza. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me on Skype is Jordan Wathen, the Motley Fool's top business development company analyst. Hey, Jordan, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I am doing excellent. Um, so, today we're going to talk about business development companies, or BDCs. Um, and this is because about a month or so ago, we did a show on business development companies' earnings, and I got a barrage. I think would be a good way of describing it, of emails saying that people had no idea what BDCs are, both the acronym and the actual business. Just to be super clear, just in case, I don't want to forget like I did last time, BDC stands for Business Development Company. That's what we're talking about today. We've done a few shows on BDCs before, but I figured it was time for a refresher since I got so many emails from people saying that they had no idea what they were, why they should care about them, or why we're doing their earnings an earnings show on them. Um, so, I guess get excited for that. <laughs> uh, I really I want to warn listeners up front though, BDCs are complicated. We're going to do our best to present this topic in a simple way, but by the very nature of the companies, it is a difficult task to do that. Um, and they are also very risky businesses, um, which we'll get into more throughout the show. But um, why don't we go ahead and dive in? Um, BDCs, business development companies, they are a little bit, they are a lot a bit actually, like a cross between banks, REITs, and private equity funds. Right. So when you think about a business development company, um, it's really just a publicly traded portfolio of debt and equity investments in small private companies. So companies that are too small for Wall Street, for example, that can't issue bonds, they're just too small or wouldn't list on a public stock market, might seek out financing from a business development company. And there are about 50, 50 or so publicly traded business development companies out there. And most are fairly small. Most have market caps of less than a billion dollars. So we're really talking about companies that are small and micro cap companies by definition. Yeah. And, be, yeah. Which, and micro cap companies for <coughs> listeners who are just learning, um, typically are a lot riskier than other types of companies because they are a lot more exposed to just general um, fluctuations in the market. They have less capital to be able to ride out a down period. Right. And that's especially true for business development companies because BDCs, they're generally in the business of making loans to buy businesses. So these loans are riskier than your average loan. And these loans are commonly referred to as leveraged loans. So a BDC's typical customer would be a private equity firm, and the private equity firm might might find a business they want to buy, but the whole business of private equity is built around the idea that they're going to put up as little as their own money to buy a company as they can. So if they identify a company that's they think is worth $100 million, they might only put up $40 million of their own capital and then borrow the other $60 million from a BDC to buy the company. And listeners might be asking themselves right now, so that's what I thought banks did, right? Like they write loans. So why aren't these companies going to a bank? Right. So if people have this view of banks as being basically in the risk business, that they're lending money and taking risks and making a profit and doing so. But really, especially since the great financial crisis, um, 
banks aren't in the business of taking risk anymore. Banks want to minimize risk as best they can. And a typical bank loan is really something that is designed for, frankly, companies that don't need the money. Banks want to loan against collateral. They want hard assets that they can sell if the loan goes bad. And you can really think about this basically as banks are lending money at four or five percent, right? Four, four or five percent interest rates. They really can't afford to take much risk there because there really isn't much upside to protect against all the loan losses that will eventually come. Right. And BDCs, by contrast, have frequently have loans that yield nine to 10 percent, which is a lot higher. <laughs> right. Because BDCs, so a bank might loan against a company's inventory. Let's say a retail store has $10 million of inventory. A bank might write a $3 million loan against that. And their thinking is basically, well, if you can't pay us, we can at least liquidate this inventory for $3 million. Business development companies, on the other hand, aren't lending against hard assets. They're typically lending against earnings or the business's cash flows that are expected over time. Right. Um, and I think that we mentioned in a previous show that BDCs uh, end up invested in really weird businesses as a result. And I think you said a favorite was bowling alleys were hugely well, yeah. popular. <laughs> right. Bowling companies, mattress companies have been you know, tossed and turned between private equity firms like crazy, too. Um, but in general, BDCs are lending against companies that don't have a lot in the way of hard assets. They're more service-oriented businesses. Uh, some companies that have been really uh, popular in the BDC space have been um, basically software-as-a-service companies, companies that generate recurring revenue from a service but don't necessarily have you know, hard assets like real estate or inventory, for example. Yeah. So the reason that BDCs even exist is because um, back in the 80s, uh, regulators were starting to get worried because banks did used to make these kinds of loans um, and they were deemed a little bit too risky for banks. So Congress created this structure that allowed BDCs to, to be born into the world of finance. Um, and that's how we ended up with them today. Now, I don't know if you remember, but earlier I said that banks are a little bit like private equity funds and banks, which we've covered. Um, but they're also like REITs in that they are required to um, pay out 90% of their taxable uh, profit for the year in dividends. Um, right. So, mm -hmm. BDCs can avoid corporate taxation, so avoid paying taxes on the profits they generate by distributing 90% of their taxable income to shareholders each year. And obviously, a BDC would prefer to avoid as many taxes as it can. They obviously want to, you know, meet that criteria because at a 35% tax rate, if you can avoid that, it's very good for shareholders, right? Definitely. Um, so, like we said, banks or sorry, BDCs are really kind of interesting hybrid companies um, that function a little bit like REITs in that their dividend yield is super high. A little bit like banks in that they give out loans, and a little bit like private equity fund or private equity funds in that they um, in the types of businesses that they invest in, um, and kind of unlike all those three, well, I don't know, private equity is pretty risky, very, very, very risky, um, and unlike private equity, you can actually buy stock in BDCs, which is why we talk about them on the show so much. <laughs> Or really, only when you're on Jordan. I think you're the only person who talks about BDCs with me. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> probably the only guy out there. Um, so we talked a little bit about how how um, banks and BDCs are different, um, and we we kind of know why someone would want to invest in a bank. But why would you want to invest in a BDC? 
So the whole idea of investing in a BDC is capturing the extremely high dividend yields that they pay. You kind of alluded to this, but the industry as a whole, the median BDC right now pays a dividend yield of about 10%, which as far as I know is probably among the top of any um, any comp- any industry out there. REITs, at least equity REITs probably pay, you know, five, six percent. Mortgage REITs might pay 10 or 11 percent, but BDCs are definitely up there in the yield. Um, yeah, basically I think, in the yield department. I think the S and P five hundred, the average yield is something like one and a half percent. Right, right. It's like it's close to two percent. So you're talking about an industry that pays out, you know, five times, five, six, seven times what the average stock in the S and P five hundred does, which is alluring if you want easy cash. Um, other reasons you might want to invest in a BDC. Uh, you have a high tolerance for risk, and you don't mind all your money disappearing. <laughs> well, right. So exactly. <laughs> so if you think about what a BDC does, they're basically providing loans that the Federal Reserve has said these are way too risky for banks. Because after the financial crisis, the Federal Reserve came out and said, "Hey, look. Even though this really wasn't the reason why the financial crisis happened, the real problem with the financial crisis obviously was that mortgage loans. You know, banks just got drunk on mortgage loans, but." Banks also used to lend to these buyouts, and the Federal Reserve said, hey, we're putting out basically a hard limit on these loans that you can no longer make leveraged loans at six times the company's earnings. That's you know, basically the limit that we're, gonna, we're going to put on it. So BDCs really popped up to basically supply the demand for loans that are that risky, that are at multiples of a business's annual earnings. Yeah, and I know that there are a few BDCs that are generally considered safer than others. Um, do you want to? Do you have any kind of opinions on that? Well, so yeah, so one that gets a let's say a, a pass. I don't really want to say a pass, but one that one that makes less risky investments would be something like Golub Capital BDC, and they basically focus on what are first lien loans. So they have a first claim to the assets, and there's usually another debt or debt and always another equity investor behind them. And just as a matter of business, Golub Capital BDC doesn't make equity investments. They typically avoid them just because they like to avoid a conflict of interest with people who might bring them deals to invest in so they don't invest in equity. And for the most part, I would consider them a, you know, a very low risk but BDC relative to some others out there which hold higher equity stakes. Fair enough. Um- so, as you can tell, neither Jordan nor I think that BDCs are a great idea. Um, you do you, though, right? That's, that's totally up to you. We're not telling you what to do with your money. Um, but now we're going to talk to you a little bit about why maybe you wouldn't want to invest in BDCs. And I'm going to lead off with the, my number one reason, which is you're investing in a company that's investing in another company that you don't actually know that much about. Uh-huh. No, that, that's a very good. That's this is a great place to start because, as a matter of just practicality, understanding what a BDC owns is very hard to do. These are they invest in hunt, more than one hundred in most cases private companies which you know nothing about other than the name that they list in their annual and quarterly filing. So you can do a little good, bit of googling, but you won't find financial statements, for example, for the companies that they invest in. Right, because they're tiny privately held companies, right? Like they're like I don't know, I'm stuck on car washes today, but they're like millionaires car wash. You know, it's it's not it's not they're not investing in big 
corporations. Right. So, so like uh, Main Street Capital is a good example. Uh, they trade a, a huge multiple book value. I think it's like 1.5x book value, something like that. But <clears throat> they have invested in companies as small as, you know, 10 store restaurant chains and uh, a small jewelry, a jewelry store in Idaho, for example. I mean, these are businesses that I, I live in South Carolina. It would be very hard for me to go do due diligence on a, on a jewelry store in, Iowa, or in Idaho. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, also, the way that BDCs get their valuation is really interesting. Um, they have this thing called net asset value, which is basically the value of what they hold um, in loans. Um, but the problem is that they're tier three assets, so that means that uh, the BDC gives their best guess as to how good the loan is. It's not based on like hard accounting, really. It's based on how they feel about the loan. Right. So if you think about let's let's use a mutual fund for example. So a mutual fund own, might own shares of Google, and to get the value of a Google share, the mutual fund just has to look at the stock market and say, "Oh, Google is trading for X. This is what our shares in Google are worth." Well, when it comes to private debt, these are level three assets, or in private equity too. These are level three assets. So. The BDC basically has to do the fundamental work and say, well, this loan is money good, so we will market at par. We'll market at 100% of the loan value. And I've seen in several cases where a BDC will mark a loan at 100% and basically say everything is performing splendidly, while another BDC will mark the loan at 70% of par and say, and, which indicates that the, that the loan is you know, basically going to come under distress at some point. Yeah, so that's... That's hard, um, and I mean, like it, this information is on the the BDC's 10Qs, right? Like they're required to list all the companies that they have loans um, out for and what they how they think that those companies are doing. But like, you know, like it's kind of hard to actually know just as a Joe Schmo investor sitting in your office, like trying to figure this out, what's actually going on um, inside the BDC. Uh, another thing that is hard to figure out what's going on of inside of the BDCs is uh, conflicts of interest, which I know you were excited to talk about, Jordan. Well, yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that categorizes BDCs just as an industry, is it's that there are huge conflicts of interest between management teams and shareholders. And the unfortunate reality is that most management teams are compensated based on the size of their asset pool. So BDCs and BDC managers want nothing more than to grow the pile of assets that they are managing, and they will do almost anything possible to do it. What should matter, and what I hope matters over time, is these fee agreements change, and eventually managers will start focusing more on returns on assets rather than the size of their assets. But you know, to date, the focus has primarily been on size of assets, and when management teams are compensated on how much they manage rather than how well they manage it, the incentives just aren't in line. It's really unfortunate. Yeah. So this brings me to another risk. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed yet, but the 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 risk side is a lot bigger than the the not risk side. Another risk of BDCs, um, which is that they are prime targets for activist investors, which means you don't really know what's going to happen to the company <laughs> when another like group of investors buys it out and can change the entire future of the company. You know? Yeah, I have high hopes. I, there was an interesting deal recently, actually. Uh, there was a company, there's a BDC by the name of Fifth Street Finance, and it became the subject of an activist inv investor 
who really ticked off, you know, the manager and the manager said, well, we want you gone. So we're just going to buy out your stake and we're going to pay you a premium to do it. It was a, it was a terrible deal. And it was really kind of sad because what happened was everyone got hope that this activist investor was going to force the changes needed to bring the valuation of this BDC up. But in reality, they just said, eh, never mind, we'll cash out at a gain. Management stayed in and nothing happened. It was it was a really bad deal. Yeah, so that's that's one of the things that you risk, right? Like the activist investors could be going in out of the goodness of their hearts and they really want to change it, or they could just be like, eh, we'll take our payday and run, leaving the BDC even worse off than when they found it. Um, I think that's a fair characterization of what happened at Fifth Street Finance, and yeah. We'll just leave it at that, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I mean, there are like potential ways that you can kind of like feel this out, like if the company is internally managed or externally managed, but that's no real guarantee. And if you're curious about what those terms mean, I can email you links um, to them later on. But we are rapidly approaching the end of our show. and by rapidly approaching, I mean we're here. We're at the end of our show. Um, so, just a quick summary: uh, BDCs, very interesting structure, like banks, REITs, and private equity had a baby. Um, there are potential upsides, which is high dividend yield and high growth. Um, but with those potential upsides comes high risk, um, and that is something that is totally up to you. But is definitely not for me. Is it for you, Austin Morgan? Austin Morgan is shaking his head. It is not. Austin Morgan says no. <laughs> there you go. We have our ruling from our producer. Um, Jordan, do you have any last thoughts? Uh, no, not really. I would just say to tread very carefully. And if you do get interested in this industry, don't get suckered in by yield. It's very easy to draw a straight line into the future, say everything will be the same and you will always get that 12 or 13% dividend. But when any company pays out 90% of its earnings, it is always subject to the potential risk of a dividend cut. So be careful out there. Those are some wise words. Listeners, if you are interested in learning more about BDCs, I, uh, Jordan and I actually have done a couple other episodes on them. Um, and if you would like links to those episodes, email me. Or if you need links to internally versus externally managed BDCs, email me. Um, you can contact us at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus. So, as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan, um, and thanks for giving us your opinion on BDCs, Austin. And thank you to y'all for joining us. Everyone have a great week. 